You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1889th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 29th of July 2022. The editor of this edition is Mary Grenville, the producer is Pat Needham and your readers are Jill Gain and Adrian Grenville. We should also mention our processing teams who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We will repeat any telephone numbers that are in this edition at the end of the memory stick. Now for some headlines. Union anger at wages raid on hospital staff. Depression, anxiety and stress. Toll on NHS staff. Driver tells of moment he hit man stood in middle of road. Armed gang flees across gardens after raid on home. Now we continue. Union anger at wages raid on hospital staff. Free parking and hot drinks are set to end. A union has criticised the decision of West Suffolk Hospital to remove free parking evening meals and hot drinks for staff. Recommendations were made at the latest West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust Board meeting to stop free staff parking on March 31st, 2023 and remove free hot drinks and evening meals for staff from September the 1st. The Department of Health and Social Care ended free parking funding for NHS staff introduced during the pandemic on March the 31st. Most trusts have continued to support free parking since then, but WSFT says from next year it will add too much of a cost pressure, conceding it is not a popular or easy decision. Free hot drinks and evening meals for staff will also be removed as this is costing £55,000 per month. Unison, Eastern, regional organiser Leon Kilbourne said, Just days after the government announced its totally unsatisfactory NHS pay offer, West Suffolk Hospital has launched its own raid on wages. The hospital is already creaking under the pressure of staff shortages Removing the few benefits staff enjoy will do nothing to help. Instead of kicking health workers while they're down, West Suffolk should be looking at ways it can improve staff well-being and give them the strength to face the mountain of Covid backlogs. The last thing we need is more burnout and more shortages. The scale of the pressures facing staff at a hospital trust has been revealed, with stress anxiety and depression seeing thousands of sick days taken. A Freedom of Information request has shown the number of working days lost at West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust over recent years as workers have grappled with the pandemic and its after-effects, including patient backlogs. Last year at West Suffolk Hospital in Bury St Edmunds, 11,102.53 full-time equivalent days absence were recorded due to staff suffering from stress, anxiety and depression. 
The total across the trust last year at its various sites was 12,669.75. NHS Union, Unison, said the figures were sobering reading, but it was no great surprise that growing numbers of healthcare staff are too burnt out to work. Cost of living pressures were also having an effect on morale, with some finding it difficult to make ends meet with the rocketing prices of food and fuel, said the union. Meanwhile, Healthwatch Suffolk and Suffolk Mind have called for greater support for NHS workers who are struggling to cope. Healthwatch noted that the issue of stretched and overworked staff is impacting on the quality of care. The Trust said stress accounted for less than 1% of total absences. Chief Executive Craig Black said the Trust's amazing staff worked incredibly hard, never more so than over the last two and a half years through the pandemic. He added that they had an excellent package of measures to help those in need, including a dedicated staff psychology support team. Driver tells of moment a hit man stood in middle of road. An inquest has heard how a man from Haverhill died after being struck by a car at night while standing in the middle of an unlit road. The inquest at Suffolk Coroner's Court in Ipswich on Monday was told that Clifford Annes, 48, of Dallam Place, suffered traumatic head and neck injuries when he was hit by a red Hyundai Jets while standing on the A1017 Haverhill Bypass, about 60 metres from the Sturmer roundabout about 10.30pm on Thursday, April the 19th, 2021. Assistant Coroner Dr Dan Sharpstone read out a report from Mr Annis GP which said in a long-standing history of intravenous heroin use and that he was under the care of the substance abuse charity Turning Point but that he continued taking drugs intravenously as well as crack cocaine throughout. PC Dean Webb, a forensic road collision investigator, told the hearing that at the time of the incident, the weather was dry and the road conditions were good. Reading a statement from another police accident investigator, PC Jeff Cribb, PC Webb said, It's his opinion that Mr Annis was positioned broadly around the centre of the eastern traffic lane when he was struck. He was wearing dark clothing. There's no street lighting and therefore any driver would be relying on his own headlights to see him. A statement from Barry Powell, the driver of the Hyundai, was read out of the hearing. Mr Powell said, I suddenly saw this figure standing partly sideways in the middle of my lane. He was approximately 30 yards away. My first thought was that he looked like the Grim Reaper. I immediately put on my brakes. I wasn't travelling fast, perhaps 50 miles an hour. I could not stop quick enough over the short distance. There was a big bang and the figure hit my windscreen. It all happened so quickly. An armed gang is being sought by police after fleeing across gardens while armed with weapons after a brazen daylight raid on a home in Exning. Three men jumped out of a grey BMW 3 Series after pulling up on the driveway of the house in Wimble Hill shortly before 1pm on Monday. Police said entry was then gained to the property by forcing open the rear doors. An untidy search of the house was carried out by the gang before they were disturbed by the homeowners returning. The three men fled the property through the back garden, 
before making their way through a neighbouring garden and being picked up by a fourth individual in the grey BMW and making a getaway. All three men were seen to be carrying either poles or bats while on the premises, although it is not believed that any property was stolen by the men before they fled the scene. A police spokesman said, There is not much we can add at this time, other than to say inquiries are ongoing. But detectives do not currently believe this to be part of a wider series. Officers are seeking the men involved in what has been treated as an aggravated burglary. I would like to hear from any witnesses, including anyone who was in the vicinity of Wimmel Hill, at the time of the incident and may have seen or heard anything suspicious. Contact West Suffolk Police by phoning 101. Project serves up varieties of hospitality career choices. A project has been launched focused on changing perceptions of the hospitality sector. West Suffolk Council has secured £10,000 funding from Suffolk Growth and is working in collaboration with West Suffolk College and local hospitality leaders to highlight career options within the sector. The hospitality sector was one of the worst hit during the pandemic, with employers now also facing recruitment issues. To inspire and support young people looking at a future in the sector, the Choose Hospitality will mean those starting a relevant apprenticeship or study programme at West Suffolk College will be offered a Welcome to Hospitality incentive payment of £300. The grant can be used by students to cover some of the costs of buying uniforms and equipment and to help with travel costs. A junior chef course is also available to those aged 10 to 15 years as an introductory stage programme designed to give young people a chance to experience working in a professional kitchen or just have fun. Part of the funding will be allocated to provide bursaries for this programme. The project is designed to inspire and train a new generation of talent to support local businesses. A variety of events are also being arranged, including demonstrations which will offer students opportunities to cook alongside local chefs. Eligible businesses are also able to access free courses from the West Suffolk College VENI Prospectus to support the development and improvement of their existing workforce. Councillor Susan Glossip Cabinet Member for Growth at West Suffolk Council said <coughs> It is encouraging to see partnership working to promote the hospitality sector. It is well documented that the industry has struggled due to the pandemic. This is a great opportunity to arrive interest and engage the next generation as well as upskill the current workforce. A snorkeler has discovered a human skull in the depths of a waterway while collecting river samples for a conservation project. Nicola Crockford spotted human remains while out snorkelling in Lode Dyke at Borton Fen, Norfolk on Monday, July the 11th. Shaken by the discovery, the snorkelling enthusiast immediately called the police and she had to retrieve the skull for them from the spooky location on the hot and overcast night. The skull is due to be examined by an archaeologist as its origins are a mystery. Nicola of Tuddenham made headlines last year after finding a treasure trove of jewellery while snorkelling along Lee Brook in Freckenham. 
On her latest discovery, the 58-year-old said, I thought, oh my God, this is a skull. I had seen something in the news about a body being found in water. I said two or three days earlier that it's only a matter of time before I find human remains, and then it happened. Nicola, an RSPB officer, was collecting nitrogen and phosphate samples for a Freshwater Habitats Trust project as part of the Heritage Lottery-funded Brex, Fen, Edge and Rivers Landscape Partnership Scheme to map the extent of clean and unpolluted water. She spotted the skull at about 6.30pm and not knowing what to do, she swam back to her vehicle to phone the police. I was feeling a bit shaken because it was a bit of a spooky ditch and spooky night, she said. I rang the police. They soon phoned back and they said, please can you stay there? We want you to help us retrieve it. It was pretty horrible, actually, to pick it up. I did have my snorkelling gloves on. It was a bit difficult to pick it up. I'm not used to handling human body parts, to be honest, and it was a bit upsetting. The skull is due to be examined, but it is believed to be from a long time ago, potentially centuries. Nicola added, it was much more fun finding the jewellery. I also found a shotgun in the lark at Mildenhall. I'm not looking forward to finding any more human remains, let's put it that way. A Norfolk police spokesman said there were no suspicious circumstances surrounding the skull. He said, it is believed to have been buried in a peat bog and will be assessed by an archaeologist in due course. A mother of two who was forced to remove 13 of her own teeth after she was unable to find an NHS dentist says she is overwhelmed by a community fundraiser to pay for dentures. Danielle Watts of Bury St Edmunds made headlines for a DIY dentistry after suffering from chronic gum disease and the closure of her NHS dentist about seven years ago. With the problems continuing, Councillor Katie Parker has launched an online campaign to raise £1,500 to help Danielle pay for dentures after she has had several more teeth extracted. Danielle, 42, has 14 teeth left and will have eight removed. She says she felt a little bit tearful at the overwhelming community response, having already received £1,000 from a parishioner at her man's church to pay for the extractions. Danielle said she tried not to smile to avoid showing the gaps in her mouth. I live with this every day. I take painkillers. I go to work. I look after my kids. And I deal with shutting my smiles down. I hate talking to people, even people I know, she said. To have people I don't know, even know, get a gist of what I'm going through, it starts to get a bit overwhelming. I don't expect it. Last Thursday, she paid for a private appointment with my dentist and had four teeth extracted on August the 15th, with the others in a fortnight later, before having the dentures fitted. Danielle, who works in packing for a printing company, decided to make the appointment she's in quite a lot of pain with one tooth that needs removing. She thinks her condition could have been much better managed had she been able to see an NHS dentist. The boss of a farming company which has a fleet of its own fire engines has praised staff who helped the county's under-pressure firefighters to extinguish a blaze during the heatwave.
Greenheath Limited in Lakenheath hires and sells former airport crash tender fire appliances, which came in handy when a fire broke out at the railway embankment bordering its base at Toggum Farm on Wednesday night, after Suffolk Fire and Rescue declared a major incident due to the volume of call-outs across the county. The fire service sent two fire engines to deal with the blaze after being called at 5.36pm but had trouble reaching it, so three members of staff from the farm, Jake Mays, Chris Frost and Grant Smith, jumped in one of the 4x4 airport tenders which were equipped with a water cannon. Thomas Clayton, director of Greenheath, which specialises in farming, machinery sales, haulage, storage and energy, said they went above and beyond. The fire was right on our boundary and it would have taken all our fields. The railway line was shut while his team and the fire service extinguished the blaze, which was caused by a spark from a train. The company has between 20 to 50 appliances at any one time and they are hired out by airports and farms. Mr Clayton added, It's all about working together in situations like that. The fire crews have been out since all hours and they were quite appreciative in getting it done as quickly as possible. It's what life's about. We've all got to try and help. The fire service declared a major incident at about 7pm on Wednesday, having already been called to more than 60 incidents at that point. John Lacey, Chief Fire Officer for Suffolk Fire and Rescue Service, said they had seen an unprecedented number of fires as a result of the hot weather which caused grassland to burn quickly. Psychologist collects MBE from Palace. A consultant clinical psychologist has spoken of her pride after collecting an MBE for her outstanding contributions to improving mental health and well-being among young people. Dr Beth Mosley, who is with Norfolk and Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, travelled to Buckingham Palace on July the 7th alongside daughter Eva, 13, to collect her ward from the Duke of Cambridge. The day was amazing, and one of the best of my life, said Dr Mosley, who lives in Berry Nedmonds. I was with all the people I love the most, and were all so proud of me, and I thought it really special that my daughter was able to see me receive the MBE. Dr Mosley was recognised in the 2022 New Year's Honours for her work in Suffolk. The government has granted development consent for a new nuclear power plant on the Suffolk coast. Energy firm EDF plans to build the twin reactor Sizewell C, which it says will generate enough electricity for six million homes next to its existing Sizewell B facility. The decision by the government had been delayed and the plans have attracted protests from environmentalists. EDF says that once built, Sizewell C will generate low-carbon electricity for at least 60 years and employ 900 people in addition to the thousands of jobs needed for maintenance outages. Councillor Andrew Stringer, leader of the Green, Liberal Democrat and Independence Group at Suffolk County Council, said he felt it was the wrong decision for Suffolk. He added, it locks in ever more expensive ways to generate electricity that we believe will be economically unviable before it is built. A resident at a Berries and Edmonds care home celebrated her 102nd birthday with a reunion lunch with her three sons. Jean Wood was born on July 14, 1920. 
She has lived at Cornwallis Court, managed by the Royal Masonic Benevolent Institution, for ten years. She marked her recent milestone with a meal out with her sons Roger, Stephen and John. Jean also enjoyed visits from family and friends and received video calls from relatives in Canada and Australia. Jean was born in London and lived there until her late twenties. On the occasion of her recent birthday, she recalled her first job working for a shop in St Paul's where she earned a mere one pound ten shillings a week. She said, I had to commute to work, so I could only afford ten pence a day for my lunch in old money. She got married in 1941 and moved to Cambridge shortly after the war, living there for several years. She and her husband then relocated to Letchworth. An activities coordinator at Cornwallis Court said, Jean is a wonderful person and very much part of the family at Cornwallis Court. Sadly, she wasn't able to see her sons for her last birthday due to the national lockdown. So this birthday has been extra special for Jean and we're thrilled for her. When asked the secret for a long life, Jean said, I guess it's due to me keeping busy and always learning something new. Sudbury Market Town Partnership is accepting donations to run its latest event on Saturday, July the 30th at the Stevenson Centre in Great Cornard. Trustee and Chairman of Sudbury Market Town Partnership and Transition Group, Leslie Ford Platt, said, With recent days proving that with we all need to do our bit to help reduce global warming, the Give and Take event is just a small way which might help us contribute to this. Give and Take prevents useful items going to landfill and also helps people on low incomes who can take away for free things which they need. A local primary school has already promised to donate a batch of uniforms to the event and the group is asking that clean, outgrown school uniforms be brought in for children needing larger sizes. It will also be accepting donated books, toys, crockery, music, kitchen or garden equipment and small items of furniture. The intention of the event is to reach zero waste status so household items are not needlessly thrown away when they can benefit other people. In turn, this then reduces the number of items going to landfill and helps cut the town's carbon footprint. Carnival Procession Celebrates Earth A climate change action group held a carnival in Bury St Edmunds on Sunday to celebrate the planet's biodiversity. Members of Extinction Rebellion and other like-minded individuals and organisations came together in a celebration of life on Earth while also recognising the climate crisis. Known as the Carnival for Life, the procession saw about 100 people walk through the town. Charlotte Kirin, who is part of the movement, said, It went really well. It was very bright with lots of art and music. People from all over the region came to support and contribute. We had a really good reception from people and on the whole, people were very responsive and interested in what we were doing. The carnival route started in the Abbey Gardens and finished in St John Street, where the celebrations continued with a Samba fusion band and family-friendly activities. Along the route, 
There are also speeches and performances from Extinction Rebellion members and the carnival paused for a moment of silence to acknowledge those suffering around the world. It also featured many colourful costumes, props and banners, including a giant globe, animal puppets and marching drums. Charlotte said, We have so many talented artists in the movement, and a lot of their work was made especially for this, but will be used again in other events around the country. Although the carnival was a celebration of Earth, Charlotte said a lot of the movement's members were terrified of the planet's future. She said, I think the recent hot temperatures were unprecedented. People do realise that it's a threat to the way we live and it's going to impact all of us in some way. From crops not growing to our houses not being adequately insulated or road and rail networks breaking down in the heat, we are a group of terrified people who are doing everything we can to raise awareness of these issues. Imogene the Llama, born at Tostock Animal Park five years ago, has a spinal curvature which has resulted in partial paralysis in her legs. Tostock animal farm owner Olivia Boland first noted Imogene was dragging her back legs slightly in May. Up until that point, Imogene had been running, drinking and playing like any other llama. On Sunday, May 29th, one of the farm staff noticed Imogene sunbathing in the paddock, but soon realised something more serious was afoot when she couldn't get up. A vet was called and they identified a spinal curvature, gesturing to how the path from her neck to her tail was meant to be a completely straight line. Olivia added, They're such fluffy animals so you can't usually see their spines. The vet said there was no surgical way to correct it and I was very sad as she's only five years old. Imogene received five rounds of anti-inflammatory painkillers and was able to walk around the paddock for a short while, though relapsed relatively quickly. Olivia said, I sat down next to her in the paddock and her big eyes were looking straight at me. She's so sweet-natured. I couldn't give up on her. I couldn't put her down. She was still eating ferociously and drinking plenty of water, so I knew this wasn't an animal ready to go. After trying a variety of different remedies, Imogen came up with the idea of building Imogene a wheelchair to promote muscle progression as a form of physiotherapy. Farm volunteer Chris Sewell used to be a tractor mechanic and welded together some metal gates and a saddle to create a rough first version. Olivia said she was so happy when she could finally stand up with the aid of the wheelchair. She still can't walk by herself but it's a way of us moving her out onto the grass so she can be outside. Farm owner Olivia is hoping she'll be on her way to walking again before the rain and mud of the winter months make it too difficult for the wheels to move. Man, 34, convicted of sexual activity with a 14-year-old girl. A man with learning difficulties has been found guilty of one charge of engaging in sexual activity with a 14-year-old girl, but was acquitted of two others. Michael Savage, 34, of Garden Court, Burwell, has denied all three charges of engaging in sexual activity with a girl in Newmarket during 2018. During the trial, the court heard how Savage first met the schoolgirl in a shop, he gave her a cigarette and they started chatting. He then gave the girl his number and the pair started communicating. Prosecutors 
allege that Savage later met the girl in a park in Newmarket and had sex with her and that two further incidents took place. Attempts were made by the girl's family to stop her from seeing Savage, the court previously heard. Prosecutor Richard Potts said Savage also brought the girl an iPhone to communicate with her as her own phone was an older model. When Savage was interviewed by police, he told officers the girl told him she was 16. He said he thought she looked about that age, but denied having sex with her. Savage said the schoolgirl had kissed him once on the cheek. He admitted to buying her an iPhone because he felt sorry she had an older phone. But he denied sending messages to the phone and said his mobile phone had been stolen from his bag. One character witness described Savage as honest and trustworthy and said he would go the extra mile to help people. Savage's employer, who runs a vehicle repair workshop, said Savage was hard-working and he'd never seen him act disrespectfully to anyone. A jury took six hours and eleven minutes to return verdict on the charges, finding Savage not guilty of two counts of engaging in sexual activity with a girl, but guilty of the third. Judge Emma Peters granted Savage conditional bail with an electronically monitored curfew from 9am to 7pm and ordered him to sign the Sex Offenders Register in the interim. Savage will be sentenced on September the 16th at Ipswich Crown Court. Graham Day from Stowmarket has our first letter. He says, I was pleased to see the coverage of the Pink Ladies Tractor Road Run. Whilst interviewing for an ongoing social research project in Brockdish within the last year, I spotted a pink tractor symbol by the side of the path leading up to the house door. The significance did not immediately occur to me until I met my very helpful interviewee, who explained that she was a regular participant in the annual decorated pink tractor road run. It is sad that, with cancer and other such dread diseases, the funding of research only too often relies on the efforts of enthusiastic and innovative members of the public. By their dedication and determination, like the late bowel babe, Dame Jeb Deborah James, the Pink Ladies put breast cancer firmly on the public awareness agenda and should rightly be commended for doing so. At the time of writing, they have raised in excess of 36,000 for this year's road run. Well done indeed, and I hope that the £1 million target for donations since 2004 will soon be surpassed. The sight of those decorated tractors is guaranteed to raise a broad smile, even in the darkest of times. And I'm looking at a picture of one lady driver who is dressed in pink from head to foot, whilst her tractor is lavishly decorated with pink ribbons and flowers. The driver even sports a pink ballet tutu. No wonder she's smiling so broadly. This letter from the Berry Free Press is from its editor, Barry Peters. Two things struck home this week about how one corner of West Suffolk is a real barometer of the UK as a whole. On the one hand, we had a school in Bury St Edmunds struggling to cope as the effects of Covid once again beat a path to its door. The government is no longer counting the reasons for school absences, but anecdotally, Covid 
would appear to be a major factor in a large percentage of the episodes of sickness. What with the so-called Partygate episode, the exit of MP Boris Johnson, and now one of the hottest few days on record, the story of Covid has been relegated way down the news agenda. But it is still around, still affecting many, many people, and feels like a lion waiting patiently to pounce in the wings. Then there was the cost of living crisis brought into sharp focus at one local jeweller who's simply closing down. Queues of people thronged a back street in Bury all weekend, all hunting a bargain. Yet another indicator of how important every single pound is to us at the moment. While some may feel that Suffolk, and moreover West Suffolk, is sometimes a little island, it's simple everyday things such as this which bring home just how small our world sometimes can be. Martin Dayton from Woodbridge writes, Sir, some 99.7% of the UK population will have no part and no say in the selection of our next Prime Minister. Just 0.3% of the population will have the power to make that choice. Those few Conservative Party members do not reflect the population of the UK. I suspect they are mostly white, generally older and largely male, mainly live in the south of England, are predominantly anti-European, against immigration and the acceptance of asylum seekers, and in some cases they are openly xenophobic. In my opinion, they will probably select someone who reflects and panders to their ideologies and prejudices. And 99.7% of UK subjects will be forced to accept their decision. This is not democracy. Fears of a Covid resurgence Last weekend, photographs taken at coastal resorts showed countless thousands of people cheek by jowl without enough space between them to fit a skinny rabbit, and needless to say, not taking any precautions against Covid infections. But whereas you can understand the unwillingness to be saddled with a face mask at the seaside, there has been an almost total lack of any sort of precautions taken at supermarkets. In fact, apart from a couple of members of staff, my partner and I noticed only one other customer masked up on a recent visit to Asda in Bury. The saying, they think it's all over, comes to mind. And I hope I'm wrong, but we could be heading for an almighty resurgence, and with winter on the horizon, that's the last thing we need, has been written by Margaret Meller of Bury St Edmunds. Colin Rossini continues on the election of the new leader of the Conservative Party. With just over 0.3% of the electorate deciding on who should be the next Prime Minister and holding a worm's eye view over the nation's future, this stitch-up is absent of all legitimacy. With environmental dangers threatening to turn people into toast, this shambolic showboating around Brexit just shows how out of touch they are. The only benefit will go to the minority exploiting Brexit for their own ends. An utter disgrace, unworthy of any pretense of democracy. Bitten by Berrybug, writes Richard Hammer, from Otley in West Yorkshire. Greetings from a former Berry Free Press reporter who's just visited town for the first time since leaving 
23 years ago. When I joined the newspaper in 1997, Debbie Tweedy had not long been the editor, and as a result of several initiatives, she boosted circulation to more than 30,000 copies per week, a milestone figure in pre-digital days. I primarily concentrated on page leads, business and the courts, with the occasional opinion column. Other reporters, I recall, are Mark Baxter, who joined just before I did, and is now somewhere in the USA. The sports editor was Steve Mellon, while the following year, Rob Neal and Jonathan Barnes came along, and I think John Allen was the MD. Apologies for not remembering more names. I had a truly great time working at the paper, and I only left to progress my career by joining the Press Association in Leeds, before moving into the world of public relations and eventually starting my own agency and focusing on digital media. I visited Berry last month, one night as part of a road trip, and I'm ashamed to say I'd forgotten how beautiful the town is, so last week I came back for four more days, primarily to do some cycling. The town is a credit to everyone living in it. It's clean, evidently thriving, and the cycling and walking routes are phenomenally good. Having looked at some of my old press cuttings not so long ago, I was surprised how little I remembered from my time in Bury, but I do recall some of the issues, namely the expansion of Green King, and especially attempts to build an access road across a water meadow. There's the Woolpit Whiff and the dangerous Hawley Bends on the A14. Now I've been bitten by the Bury bug, I'll be returning over the next few months for some more cycling. Would I want to live in Bury St Edmunds again? Of course I would. P. Martin from Sudbury is worried about new homes. Whilst we acknowledge the desire for the continued explosion in new developments, surely there comes a time where their sustainability becomes questionable, where the impact on existing communities, local environment and key utilities seem to have been overridden or totally written out of the equation. Experienced and seen in many areas over the past few years, the veritable, almost indecent haste for new builds has become a concern for many, where the basic but key commodities of water, gas, electricity, sewage and rubbish disposal are being stretched. We often read of sewage in our rivers, recycling points overloaded, power cuts and problems with water in some areas, especially exacerbated by the recent hot weather and resultant field fires. The whole aspect extends beyond the current thinking of just plonking umpteen thousand homes in the middle of nowhere onto more valuable farmland, which, given the emerging situation globally, we will need to retain. It suggests a more joined-up thinking towards the sustainability of what is being created with regard to the longer-term impacts of a reinvigorated transport infrastructure other than the car, as well as the base utilities. All that seems to be created currently are short-term profits for the developers, who seemingly negate their responsibility for any other inputs, whether hapless residents, local council or utility companies are stuck with the aftermath. Over the past few weeks, there has been much publicity generated by an emerging dissent regarding 180 kilometres of power lines over our shrinking countryside. Yet it is readily accepted that another umpteen thousand homes are okay. Something wrong here. Wrong measure of growth. 
Sir, writes and Audrey Naylor from Ipswich. Sir, this sums up all the statistical arguments on growth and GDP for me. Someone said we need to stop measuring the economy, but how rich people are doing. Back to some more news. Blind Veterans UK have today issued an urgent appeal for volunteer drivers and home visitors to support blind veterans in Felixstowe, Ipswich and Bury St Edmunds. The charity helps vision-impaired ex-servicemen and women to rebuild their lives after sight loss through rehabilitation, training, practical advice and emotional support. A spokesperson for Blind Veterans UK said, It's a sad fact that many blind veterans suffer from social isolation. It happens as we get older and our families leave us and partners pass away. For people with sight loss, that isolation is all the more painful to bear. Laura Savage, volunteer coordinator for Blind Veterans UK in Suffolk, says, We have blind veterans who are in desperate need of a volunteer to help them pick up medicine, get to doctor's appointments and join friends for social events. Things that you and I take for granted, but become a real challenge when you've lost your sight. She added, and there are other veterans who are experiencing loneliness and isolation who could really do with some company along with a friendly face. This could be popping in for a cup of tea and chat, sharing a common interest or hobby, or even taking a veteran out for a coffee or lunch in their local area. Blind Veterans UK are in urgent need of volunteers in Felixstowe, Ipswich and Bury St Edmunds. Just a few hours a month could make a huge difference to the life of someone who gave everything for their country. Laura explained, no matter how much time you have to give, it'll have a huge impact on the lives of our blind veterans. Even just a few hours a month could change someone's life for the better. We provide thorough training on guiding those with a vision impairment and all out-of-pocket expenses are reimbursed. Blind Veterans UK supports thousands of blind veterans across the country but knows there are tens of thousands more who still need its support to rebuild their lives after sight loss. If you or someone you know served in the armed forces, including national service, and are now struggling with sight loss, then please get in touch. Call 0800 389 7979. And I'll repeat that number later on. And now Adrian and I are going to each read a very interesting feature. I start with Suffolk's Rural Coffee Caravan is coming up for its 20th anniversary next year, having offered company, kindness and a medium roast for almost two decades. Lynn Mortimer is the interviewer. I meet Sally Fogden and Anne Osborne at a hostelry on the A140, where appropriately we drink coffee. With the help of a dedicated team of volunteers and part-time staff, the two women have developed Suffolk's Rural Coffee Caravan an enterprise which has been helping to bring people in isolated communities together since 2003. Sometimes great ideas can blossom and thrive. Sometimes they can wither and die. What makes the difference? It is always down to those who realise the potential and are prepared to run with the idea. In this case of abundant blossoming, it was the brainchild of Canon Sally Fogden, a Church of England priest whose Suffolk parishes have been in some of the most remote parts of the county. Sally, now retired, knew that people in these communities could quickly become isolated and experience the crippling effects of extreme loneliness. Older people, people with disabilities, 
people caring for young children and people who don't drive. She identified that the difficulties were not so much that people were stuck out in rural areas, but that they had no one to turn to. With their confidence drained by lack of social interaction, people became separated and communities could begin to fragment. In a survey, one in ten people cited the television as their main companion. Loneliness is not age-related. Some of the loneliest people are new parents, says Sally. With village hubs such as pubs and shops disappearing under financial strain, Sally knew the question was, how do you get people talking to one another and knowing each other well enough to ask for help? The answer was the rural coffee caravan. Simple? Uh, not really. The caravan and its sister vehicles carry coffee. Not just any coffee. This is fabulous roast coffee donated by Ipswich-based Coffee Link and folding chairs and they tour small rural communities, inviting residents to come and have a cup of coffee and meet their neighbours. It has been a roaring success, but demands a mountain of paperwork and planning. And this is where Anne Osborne has triumphed. With logistical flair and total commitment, Anne, along with her team, has ensured the rural coffee caravan is continuing Suffolk success story, while always on the lookout for new ideas which are shared nationwide. Is it fair to say that the rural coffee caravan is now a vital part of the rural scene? Yes. And behind the scenes? Ah, yes, there is always the constant quest for funding. As she runs through the various organisations that give grants, Anne reveals an encyclopaedic knowledge of funding sources. Form filling, written submissions, statistics, evidence gathering, all part of the complex tapestry of applying for money to sustain their work. How did it all come about? Sally Fogden is a trailblazer, one of the first group of women to be ordained in the Diocese of St Edmundsbury in Ipswich in 1994. She was the driving force behind the Addington Fund, which helped Suffolk pig farmers through the devastating outbreak of swine fever in 2000 and rural communities during the foot and mouth epidemic in, in 2001, for which endeavour Sally received an MBE. No resting on one's laurels for Sally, for more than 45 years, she has been coaching children at Riding for the Disabled. She is also the founder and chair of the Suffolk branch of the Farming Community Network, a national charity that gives wide-ranging support to the agricultural community. Pause to draw breath. It was while working on the helpline for the Farming Community Network charity that her focus fastened upon the need to combat the stress of rural isolation and she hit upon the idea of a mobile community cafe and information centre. A caravan was purchased. A team of volunteers made cakes and gathered information, and they set off, and the rural coffee caravan was an instant success. So how does it work? We don't just appear, Anne smiles. We go to a village by invitation. It is important to put across that the village is part of the process. We send posters and postcards ahead to announce that we're coming. We set up like a tea party on the village green or other site. We have green and white tablecloths and we have pamphlets. It is not unusual to have just a couple of people come along, but that's fine. In 2008, they applied for funding to get another vehicle. Their successful bid brought them a camper van and Gary, who applied to drive it and was given an 18-month contract and stayed on for eight years. Meanwhile, the fame of the rural coffee caravan spread and Anne found herself attending conference across the nation, passing on ideas from Suffolk and bringing back good ideas from other areas. 
More successful bids for funding brought a third van, and now there is one caravan plus three campervans out and about in remote parts of Suffolk in the warmer months. Seven part-time staff run the venture, and 2022 is full of promise. Writers win prizes for Abbey Stories. Writers who entered the Abbey 1000 Short Story Competition have been awarded prizes for their entries. The competition, launched by the Bury St Edmunds Literature Festival, saw writers create stories of no more than 500 words that had some connection with the Abbey and its 1,000-year history as part of the town's Abbey 1,000 celebrations. The winning stories range from an eerie tale about a dog to a story about an important funeral. The writers were awarded their prizes at the Picnic in the Park event in the Abbey Gardens at the weekend, where they also had the opportunity to read out their entries. Julia Wakelam, organiser of the Berry St Edmunds Literature Festival, said, Some of them were so pleased they had won. I think the nine authors really appreciated it, and it was nice that the awards could be given at the community picnic. It was a lovely event. The Literature's Festival Contributions to the Abbey 1000 Celebrations. There were three age ranges age 9 to 12, 13 to 17, and one for those aged 18 and over. Ted Mabbitt won in the 9 to 12 category with his story The Custodians. Now, here I'm reading out. Young Ted's Story Arthur knew it was a mistake from the start. Although it was getting dark and an eerie fog was blanketing the town, the shortcut through the Abbey Gardens would save him time. Under the famous gateway, a sudden flurry of feathers from a startled pigeon awakened his senses. Arthur glanced round like a meerkat, Everything was silent again. Even the noise of passing traffic seemed to have died down. Then he saw it. A large dog, sitting on its haunches, right in the middle of the path. He looked at it, meeting its cold, grey eyes. Instantly he regretted it. Vivid images flooded into his mind. A man's figure was tied to a tree. Another picture appeared, this time a crown nestled within some bushes. Arthur ripped his eyes away, telling him to focus. Suddenly, the dog bounded away. Arthur thought to himself, that poor thing needs looking after. He sensed it had been through lots of pain and terror. Without hesitation, he hastened after the lone dog. When he reached the ruins, he stopped. A feeling called him. Creeping closer, Arthur peeped out. The top of the once eminent abbey was blanketed by thick fog. But below him, in the sunken ruins, he saw what looked like a body lying on the dewy grass. He stepped forward. He couldn't stop himself, drawn by an invisible force. Recoiling in dread, he realised it was headless. Beside it crouched the dog, like an ever-vigilant custodian. 
Arthur stared as if bewitched, forcing himself to turn away. His eyes fell upon a protruding piece of metal, glinting in the moonlight. Shifting towards it, eyes darting back and forth from the dog, he wondered what it was. However, as he was about to pick it up, he noticed it was a crown, ornamented with jewels and emeralds and crafted of some metal that he didn't recognise. Then he noticed it a head, a bounded head with a saint-like expression. The dog, which had shut out of his mind, noiselessly padded into his view and laid down beside the head. Unblinking, his colourless eyes studied him. Once again, image exploded into Arthur's mind. This time, there are lots of people crowding around a body. A kneeling figure cradled the crowned head in the frame of the fallen king, garbed in richly embroidered linen robes and a woolly tunic fastened by an embossed silver brooch. The feathered shafts of innumerable arrows were embedded in his limp and unmoving form. All of a sudden, Arthur was conscious of grey fog swirling through the air. Shaking himself back into the moment, he glanced back to where the dog had been. Nothing. Surprised, he turned the other way towards the kingly apparition. It was not there. Just darkness. Arthur ran, hell for leather. Leaving the park, he looked back. The dog was silhouetted on the path. It looked at him for a moment, then threw back its head and gave a mournful howl. It was no dog. The end. Well, there we are. And now back to some general news. Work begins on £100,000 skate park in Mildenhall. The latest phase of work to improve facilities at St John's Recreation Ground in Mildenhall is moving forward with the construction of a new skate park. The £100,000 facility will replace outdated equipment at the park, having been planned with the collaboration of local young people in the design process. The work is expected to take around eight weeks to complete and is being funded by West Suffolk Council's Community Asset Renewal Fund. Councillor Joe Rayner, Cabinet Member for Leisure and Culture, said, Local people have been central to shaping the upgrade of facilities, including the separate play area, skate park and the area used as a pitch. This is an open grass landscape and we have been at pains to preserve its character. The new skate park is low level with an open layout and mix of ramps to gain speed and momentum. It is in the area opposite the current skate park facilities which we are keeping open until this is complete and then returning to grass. Recognising that the recreation ground is in a residential area, access to the build will be from the Scots Close side, leaving parking for the community centre, church and shop free. A Suffolk artist has created a painting of a tree that fell on his home during Storm Eunice to help him come to terms with the traumatic experience. Christopher Ryland, 71, was at home with his wife Pam in Gainsborough Street, Sudbury, when the giant tree came crashing down during February's storm as the country was battered by winds in excess of 70 miles an hour. The home, painted in Suffolk pink, suffered damage to the roof, where the branches came through in the ceiling and also to the front of the property. 
The incident resulted in the couple having to stay with relatives in the town for two weeks because the property was uninhabitable. uninhabitable. He said the tree had stood opposite their home for 150 years, but the force of the strong winds caused it to collapse. Doing the painting helped me to come to terms with the tree falling on my house. The painting is like a light at the end of the tunnel and it helps me no longer to feel bad, Mr Ryland said. The painting is based on photos taken at the time, including an image that appeared in the EADT and will be displayed along some of his trademark flower arrangements at Old School Gallery in Hadley on August the 5th. Eight parks across Suffolk will be flying prestigious green flags this summer after being recognised for their cleanliness. Across the east of England, 170 parks have met the high standard required for a coveted Green Flag Award in 2022, environmental charity and organiser Keep Britain Tidy has revealed. The Green Flag Award recognises and rewards well-managed parks and green spaces, setting the benchmark standard for the management of recreational outdoor spaces. This year, eight Suffolk parks parks have been honoured by the award, with sites across the county being praised for their cleanliness and maintenance from volunteers and community groups. In West Suffolk, Aspel Close and Beck Row, Brandon Country Park, Nowton Park in Bury St Edmunds and East Town Park in Haverhill were given the award. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given or put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation of the very free press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal from whose pages most of our items have been taken. The telephone numbers mentioned in this edition are Use the Police, 101, and for the Armed Forces Sight Loss Article, 0800-389-7979. And so, farewell. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Pat, Jill, Adrian and Mary, it's goodbye. Good. It's goodbye. Podcast brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St. Edmunds studio.